Hello, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Crash, the UK Geek Podcast. This is episode 322, recorded on Thursday the 25th of June 2020 at 11 minutes and 10 seconds past midnight. And it is so, so hot. It is so hot I've had to take off my headphones. I'm dripping. I can't believe how hot it is here at the moment. This is the second of my two back-to-back recording sessions tonight. And despite the heat, Hi-O, Silver, away. First, let's start with the virus diary. We're apparently using restrictions in the UK. At the current time, there are around 43,000 dead of COVID-19. Deaths still occur every day, but at a much lower rate than before. It is, however, little comfort if you are isolating, like we are, because of my elderly parents. I think this is an overly stressful and unfair situation. I don't see why it's okay for one section of society to not support the other, but surprise, surprise, that's what's happening. And man, there is a lot of traffic out there. So it appears for most people, things have gone back to normal. But not for us. Also, I have to ask myself what happens if there is a USA or Brazil-like spike? And remember, we in the UK are already one of the most affected by COVID-19 countries in the world. Good old blighty. I don't know what else to say. And with that cheerful thought, let's do the rest of the show. Let's start off with culture. And some films. The first of which is The Vast of Night, in which a radio DJ and telephone exchange operator get involved in an alien encounter over the airwaves. I do get that using mostly audio is a novel way of telling a close encounter story, but this is film, not radio. I would have given this more of a chance though, if I could relate more to the main character, who is, after all, a radio DJ, and you would have thought I would relate well to a fellow presenter, but I found the beatnik DJ too cocky, too self-assured, and just way too slick. And also, I could barely understand a damn thing he was saying with this very thick southern USA accent. I don't know if the actor is really from that region or not, but it sounded artificially thick. And that is The Vast of Night. Next, 7500. 7500. 7500. This is a film starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I'll watch anything starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, because he's a brilliant actor. Though this is one of the better hostage-taking films, I found it also 
pretty unoriginal and definitely does not pass Riz Ahmed's Riz test. Riz Ahmed is a British actor who is a Muslim and he has a test to see whether the film is stereotyping Muslims basically as terrorists and ne'er-do-wells. So we're back to the same old and boring racist trope of Muslim terrorists. And that's 7500. Next on the list of films that I've seen since last time, The Invisible Man. In this, we have an abusive, controlling husband who has the power of invisibility. I would say this is sleeping with the enemy if the enemy was a supervillain. It is yet another film with Elizabeth Moss in the now typecasted role of a victimised woman who, because she is Elizabeth Moss, we know will at some point turn the tables. Is that feminism? It's weird, isn't it? Turning the tables is a good thing, but being typecasted as a victim, not so great. The Invisible Man is not a bad spin on H.G. Wells' original story, and better than the slightly similar Kevin Bacon film, but will the power of invisibility really make you a perverted deviant maniac? I think people have to stop copying Alan Moore's version of The Invisible Man, who is just that in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic book series. And that's The Invisible Man, on to The Five Bloods. I'm probably going against grain here by saying right at the top of this section that I hated The Five Bloods. It is a story of a group of Vietnam vets returning to claim lost gold. It stands up well as an informative source about both the vast inequality in how African-American soldiers were used in the Vietnam War and the crass commercialization of the war afterwards. On the other hand, as a fictional film, it is an utter cliched mess. The actors were wasted, and I just don't see any point to any of it. And what the hell was the point of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl? I can almost imagine why she's there, but I don't like it. I think it's because Spike Lee is a fan of Apocalypse Now, and in the extended cut there is this whole scene with Indochin imperialist French, and I think this is a way of redressing that, but there is no point, really. She adds nothing to the film. I have nothing personally against the actress. I thought she was charming, but of course she's charming. She is a manic pixie dream girl. She just should not be in there. That whole thing was... I found out after the film, when the credits were going up the screen, that four people were credited in writing the screenplay. And this shows in the directionless narrative mess that this is. I think Spike Lee should have made a documentary instead of this. And that is The Five Bloods. Let's leave film behind and move on to the small screen, and first of all, Into the Night, 
This is a Belgian science fiction show about a plane that is taken hostage by a madman. It is very reminiscent of Stephen King's The Langolias, with a ragtag group of ordinary people facing extraordinary circumstances. It definitely does not, thank God, have more 7500 stereotyping, though you'll think it's going that way, because that's what it wants you to think, for a while at least. Into the Night has a diverse cast, the script doesn't pull any punches, and flips the idea of who to trust on its head, and the outcomes are always surprising in this tense Netflix TV drama. And that's Into the Night recommended. Next on TV, Stargirl. The balance of comedy and drama are just about right in this show, which charts the building of a new Justice Society of America, the comic book JSA, years after the old one was destroyed by the Injustice League. I had to look up this information because I'm not that familiar with Golden Age comic books, but yes, the demise of the JSA was a thing that actually happened in the fictional world of comics, I was quite surprised by reading that. I didn't think they killed superheroes that often. But yeah, it was a Golden Age comic book massacre. Stargoyle, I think, is the best current small screen DC adaptation. And now we should move on to technology. This week has been trying. I have been messing around with Plex, Microsoft DLNA, and networked media streaming in general. I tried to stream movies from a PC to my parents' Roku. I wasted an hour with Plex and DLNA before I just threw my hands in the air and gave up. What an unrelenting pile of crap this is. I also tried public SMB shares on Windows, and a lot of other boring and difficult-to-configure networky things, and nothing worked. Literally, nothing I could do could get streaming to work from my computer to the Roku. I think this is just way too complicated so my plan is to get an offline media player, like my current Liberalec running Raspberry Pi 3B, and just sneak and net movies over to the device. If I can't do that, maybe a cheap computer plugged into the TV and just playing movies with something easy like VLC. This takes me back to the bad old days when I was in IT support. I was an IT support Morlock. And networking hassles were the problems I hated solving the most. That and printers. Man, printers never work. And users. Users never work. And everything about IT support just sucks. Don't do it. 
That's my advice. Moving on from me moaning about networking and giving you bad career advice to an HDMI switcher I bought recently for about £20, just below £20. It's the Sega 4K HDMI switcher. When I say Sega, I don't mean Sega, I mean Segear. It's spelled S-G-E-Y-R. It's a little box with three inputs and one output to go to your TV so that you can switch between HDMI devices up to 4K at 60 frames per second. It sort of works. It does work. Actually, it does work. It just doesn't work very well. There are LEDs on the front which tell you what's happening and which HDMI channel you're switching to. Those LEDs are far too bright. They light up the room even with all the lights off. And the other thing that sucks about this is that the home button of my Roku remote works on the same infrared frequency as the switcher's own remote button to switch HDMI source, which all sounds very complicated when I say that aloud, but what it means is if I point my Roku at the Roku box and press the home button, it will instead switch HDMI sources which isn't great. What it means is that I have to remember never to press the home button on my Roku remote. It just means I have a few extra back presses rather than taking the home shortcut. If you forget that, it messes everything up and then you have to walk over to the unit and fiddle around with the button. There are cheaper HDMI switches. They range between about 5 and... £20 at the cheaper end. I would recommend that you don't buy anything too expensive because I'm guessing they all have their issues. They will work. They will save having to rip out the HDMI plug from your TV over and over again, wearing out that socket. They just won't work very well. I think HDMI is a complete mess. The way to solve this is for all TVs to have a series of HDMI ports, at least three, at the very least. What should we talk about now that I've moaned about media streaming and HDMI switches? Let's move on to headphones and talk about the Bayer Dynamic DT150 headphones. This is a Redux item because I tried and returned these updates to the old-school DT100 broadcast cans because they were not comfortable. And then I bought them again. They are still not the most comfortable studio monitors, but they fit my tall ears. The price isn't terrible, and... This is the crux of the matter. I am sick of replacing my JVC HA S160s twice a year at £10 a pop. The JVC HA S160s are a great product, but they don't last that long, and that kind of expense builds up. 
The DT150 is that I've rebought are for use as studio monitors, not for general use, but if anyone is worried about the high impedance of 250 ohms, even my phone drives them just fine at a slightly higher volume. Although I have a headphone preamp, I don't need it with these headphones when plugged into my Yamaha MG06 mixer. They sound good, they are definitely better than the DT100s in that the DT150s are lighter and they have a better frequency response because as well as podcasting I have a minor musical setup at home and I need that wider frequency range to listen to the stuff that I record. So really in summary they are better sounding than their predecessors they fit my ears, they're not the most comfortable studio headphones, most studio headphones are not. They cost about the same as most studio headphones, just over a hundred pounds. They all seem to be around that price. You can get Sony's, you can get Audio-Technica's, they're all around that price for sitting down and doing video or audio editing or working in a radio studio, which is where I first used the DT100, the heavier, more uncomfortable predecessors that are probably in radio studios because they have a good treble response, which is what you need when you want to pick out all the little squeaks and clicks that are particularly a feature of this podcast you may have noticed. Sorry about that. If, however... You have ears that are smaller than mine. Get something else like the similarly priced DT770 Pros from Bayer Dynamic also, which are now the studio standard. If you ever see an interior of a BBC studio, you'll notice most people are using those. Or at least I have seen people with those headphones on in publicity shots. I don't know if that's still the case. Let's move on to a quite different type of technology and talk about Lame Safari 2020 Special Edition Candy Fountain Pens. Fountain pens are a technology, right? And some crazy people like me might argue that they represent one of the great pinnacles of human art and technological prowess, so much so that... They have even thrived in an age when no one really needs them anymore. What I'm trying to say is, I like fountain pens. Anyway, the point of this item is that my mum's returning to the UK gift was a new, but untested and still boxed, elegant diplomat traveller fountain pen bought from John Lewis in a sale several years ago. It is a nice brushed silver fountain pen. It's slim, it has a gold clip, and it also has a hairline crack in the section and leaks. Which, of course, I only discovered when I filled the pen for my mum. It's also an aromatic filter. It has 
a rubberish sack or silicone sack with which to fill ink. And that sack is encased in a metal housing and a little metal spring that presses against the rubber, compressing it so that when you let go, it fills with ink. It is a nightmare to fill. If you have a choice, never get a fountain pen with an aromatic filter. They just don't work that well. Where were we? Oh yes, my mum's gift. It was not the best experience for my mum, who is a user looking forward to her first fountain pen in years. So the next thing I did was give her another new and boxed pen, this time a Kawako Sport, and that was okay, my mum said, but it skipped. That is, when you write with it, sometimes you get ink, sometimes you don't. It generally skipped when you started the pen, i.e. it was a hard start in fountain pen terminology. Again, not entirely satisfactory. Finally, I had my mum try my battered old broad-nibbed Safari fountain pen, and bingo, she liked it. She particularly liked its wet ink flow and its smoothness on paper. I promptly ordered a 2020 special edition Lamy Safari in matte violet with a broad nib and the Z28 converter, which is a twist piston converter, very easy to fill. She also tried a few inks in my collection, including the highly appropriate bright violet of Herbin's Rose Cyclamen, which is one of my favourite inks, but settled on the intense royal blue of Diamine Sapphire Blue ink. The only drawback with this ink is that the initial smell is of stale laundry, which has simmered down over the years of storage to uh, the smell of stale laundry. Oh well. Still, you know what? It's cheaper than bog-standard washed-out garbage that is Blue Parker Quink that I would tell everyone to avoid. I also took the opportunity to buy Herbin Lear Sauvage, uh, which is translated from French to Wild Ivy, which is supposedly an intense green ink. Turns out that it's not that intense. I've also run out of my standard black Parker Quink. See, not all Parker ink is bad. The black is satisfactory, I'd say. I do need more black ink. I think I'm going to replace it with Mont Blanc Mystery Black, mainly because I want the iconic shoe-shaped bottle. On the subject of that special edition Lame Safari, they are called the Candy Collection. The full title is... And I'll repeat yet again, Lamy Safari 2020 Special Edition Candy. The colours they come in are Mango, which is a yellow, and Aquamarine, which is a turquoise, as well as the Violet, which is a violet, or a light purple, 
Something like that. They also come with the lovely grippy matte texture of the original Umbra version, the charcoal version, which is just more pleasant to use, nicer to the touch, especially in this hot weather, which I may have mentioned once or twice. That matte texture is certainly more comfortable to use than the shiny texture of my black Safari. These new Lame colours are also available as ballpoints or rollerballs, but why would anyone want those common workaday obscenities when you can ascend to the sublime heights of a fountain pen? I don't know. There are no other pens. There is only the fountain pen. And on that contentious... Well, it's not a contentious note. It is, in fact the note to end all notes because I'm right and everyone else is wrong. The only pen worth having is a fountain pen. Calm down, Roy. And that's it. That's it for this week's Trove of Geek. I now have over an hour of tape to edit. So... Let me... Have some sleep and I'll do that editing. Oh, it's still hot. The show is produced, presented and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. Yes, my voice is flagging now. If you want to help, and why would you not want to help? Please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend. Though I would prefer more Apple podcast ratings and reviews because those seem to work the best. Not that I'm an Apple fanboy in any way, which you'd know if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis. You were listening to Crash the UK Geek podcast, episode 322, recorded on Thursday the 25th of June 2020. The time at the end of the show is 44 minutes and 45 seconds past midnight. Thanks for listening, and now I'm going to go and collapse with a cool drink. Bye bye. For now. Bye.